So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. If you're an agent, listen to this right now, who's ambitious. If you really are committed to grow and scale your business, if you want keen insights, battle-tested lessons, and ultimately you want to know some mistakes to avoid along the way and really a model to follow, you're going to love today's podcast with our guest, Lisa Chinati. Uh, listen to these numbers. She grew her real estate business from eight to 82 transactions in one year, from 82 to 212 the next, to 326 sales to 492 sales. And this year, as we record this, she's at 570-ish close. She didn't know the exact number, but knew it was in the 5-7 mark and is skipping the fives and going right to 600 plus transactions this year. Listen to those numbers from eight to 82, from 82 to 212, from 212 to 326 sales, to 492 sales, to 600 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Chinati in the house. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you, you look a little nervous as I was saying all that. How you doing? Good. Well, I got nervous when you said that we're going to talk about the mistakes. Yes, 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 yes. I appreciate that. Hey, Lisa, for the people that have not met you before, whether they're listening on the audio or they're watching us on YouTube or any one of the social channels, um, give us just a little background. Like, are you married? Are you single? Kids? No kids? You know, and then we're going to get into all the details around these rocket ship numbers. But let them know who you, and where are you from, by the way. So go ahead and give them just the quick state of the union. Yeah. So, um, Lisa Chinati, obviously, I am in the greater Boston area, so about 30 miles northwest of Boston. Um, married, two daughters who are 14 and 16 now, and running the team. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Short and sweet and always direct, which I appreciate. So so let's let's dig in. I mean, the people that get to know you, they hear these rocket ship numbers. I can remember, you know, when you joined us as a client, and they're like, hey, this guy went from like, you know, eight deals to like 82 transactions. I'm like, okay, I got to get to know this person, which by the way, you, you, you know, you and I have finally gotten over that little craziness, but we'll get into that in a minute. Go back to that first year. What happened to go from eight to 82 transactions? I think the biggest thing is that I had a mindset shift that I needed to either be in or be out. Right. And what was getting me to eight deals a year was never going to get me to accomplish my deals, the number that I wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And so I needed to change what I was doing or admit that I was just going to be at that level of eight deals a year, which is still like solid, right? right. Like still a decent number. Um, but I wanted more than that. And so I needed to change. I needed to change a lot about what I did and how I did it. Yeah. So, so, I, I understand everything you just said, but I, what do you mean? Like eight to 82 is a, that is like a rocket ship. That is not a, okay, I finally just got committed and I'm reaching out to my database and making a few phone calls and, you know, organizing my schedule a little more. I mean, like, like yeah. you and I both know you added some lead pillars, you know, no doubt you had, but first, what is that like to have that mindset shift? Cause back then your daughters, this is basically six years ago. 
So your daughters were in their early, you know, tweeny, whatever that age is called, right? Uh, one, not even in the teens yet, right? So what was the shift and why was the shift? Why did you do this and what was it? So for me, it was that I needed to prove to myself that I could, right? Somebody doubted that I would actually be able to do it. And for me, the motivation was to prove to myself that I could, right? I think as an agent, we all often think that we can, but then we get this drunk monkey that says we can't. And so, and I also, like, you know me fairly well. Some people know this about me, but I'm not super extroverted. I tend to be very introverted. Yes. And one of the big things that I realized that had happened leading up to this is that I wasn't shouting from the rooftops what I did, who I was, and why I was doing it. And yes. the moment that I was able to say, like, I sell houses, right? Like, look at me, like, I sell houses, I'm really good. And it's not just selling houses or being good, but it's, I help people, right? Yes. And that was the connection for me. Adding lead pillars, of course. Um, understanding that I needed to start to treat it like a full-time job. I needed to get up, get dressed, go to the office and not be the mom in yoga pants, um, drinking coffee till 10 a.m. So some big, it it was a a whole change and it had to be a job, a job that I love. Yeah, I know every person listening right now a, I hope has had that moment, but everybody can relate to it in a certain, in a certain way. And it's time in their life where they were like, I was just kind of doing what I was doing, but then you, you make this shift and, and it sounded like it was a little personal and maybe somebody else told you you couldn't. And that's probably all you needed to finally, but then ratching it up and letting people know that you sell real estate. Like there's a lot of people out there. I'm not talking introvert, extrovert, both that are just definitely afraid to sort of put it out there to say, Hey, I sell houses and you have a choice. I, you, I could be on your consideration set. How did you get over that? The, so I had to get, so the wanting to succeed needed to be more than what the fear was. Right. And I'll put it out there what the fear was that I think most of us feel. I was afraid of being rejected. Right. Right. I was afraid that if I raised my hand and said, I want an opportunity to, to work with you through one of the biggest transactions of your life and you don't choose me, I needed to get over that. That wasn't about me. Right. And Hey, real estate agents, we're not, we're not like, sh- we're, we're like shoes. We're not a one size fits all solution, right? And just because you don't choose me doesn't mean that I don't fit on somebody else really, really well, but I'm never going to be the right person for everybody. And once I realized that and that it's not, sometimes it's rejection, right? And I can't win at all. But if I am so afraid of the rejection that I don't put myself out there, I'm never going to get the wins either. Yeah. So what did you do differently in those early days to put yourself out there? Like once you got the, Hey, I love the, you know, one size fits all, you know, my dad used to always say, Hey, there's more nuts than there are squirrels to eat them. Like, don't worry about it. Like just find the next nut. Right. Which always sounds funny if you're talking about clients, that's not what I mean, but you all get the metaphor. What did you do differently in that first year? Cause we're going to go deep on this and there's, there's a one component. Obviously we know made a massive shift, but what did you do to start telling people like, Hey, I'm here, I'm active. Yeah. So, Clearly, like online leads became, hang on one sec, online leads became. For the people that were on the audio only, you have no idea right there, but you know, the video people just saw, saw her like leave the visual for a second, but yes. 
I dropped my noodle. I had a feel. By the way, yes, I'm. For the people that are watching, you're going to see what I've got in my hand. This is a gift from Lisa Gennati to prep me for my interview with her today. But go back to it again. So, what did you do to let people know? I started buying online leads, right? So that was number yeah. one, and that yeah. was that was like my safe entry in because it wasn't me personally, right? Yeah. And it was still very anonymous in a lot yeah. of ways. It's a voice behind the phone, right? Yes. And then the next step was that I started farming and I had a great geographic farm. Um, and that was kind of the next step because while my picture was on there, it was still a little bit more personal, right? Yeah. And it was kind of putting it out there to a select audience of like 500 people, like, mm -hmm. hey, I sell houses, but it still wasn't like putting it out there, right? And then the next step became really putting it out there on social media, at the PTO, right? In my, my kids are, they remind me of this every year and they're horrified by it. But at one year at Halloween, I wrapped all of the Halloween candy into cellophane bags, tied them with ribbon and put my business cards on them. So then it was like. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Some people just wrote that down, by the way. That's good. <laughs> and but so like that was like as out there as it got, right? Because you sure. were coming to my house in my right. neighborhood, right? And then not only are you seeing my face, like handing you my business card with my face on it, yes. but it started some conversations. Yes, 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 yes. You're like, please hand this one to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because right? you know the parents are eating half of it anyway. Right. Okay. So, so. But a lot had to have changed both in your psychology and in your life to go from eight to 82. I bet you went from having lots of free time, even though you probably felt busy, to having very little free time. Did you do it all alone? Did you get an assistant? Were you insane? Do you wear leather at night and enjoy a good beating? Like, help us understand. The leather might have been all day, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> when you go from eight to 82 deals, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Like that is a, that's a lot of eustress. That's a lot of positive stress. How did you do it? Um, you know, early on, I did not have an assistant. I didn't hire an assistant until July. Um, uh, yeah. And I remember like, it, I, I'm not proud of it. I would walk through my office and say like, I'm a walking liability. Right. And that's kind of how I felt. Yeah. Um, I had a great coach at that time who finally convinced me to take the risk and hire an assistant. Yeah. And that became, I think if I hadn't done that, I, I think I couldn't have gone past 50 or 60 transactions. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that got me to the next level time. I still worked a lot. I'm not going to lie. Like there wasn't, I know first, first half of the year, there wasn't a ton of balance. The second half of the year, was slightly better. What I'll say is I never missed anything that was important, Yeah. but I did miss some stuff. Yeah. I mean, listen, every entrepreneur knows, you know, guy, gal, you know, kids, no kids, puppy, like, look, this business is like a, a black hole, right? It can suck you in. The more successful you are, the more it can suck you in. And it's only through trading shekels for time that we start to buy back some of that freedom, which most people just don't get, right? You clearly got it. But then take us take us back. So you go from you know, eight to eighty-two. Then you go from eighty-two to two hundred and twelve. And I know the backstory behind this year. But so help us just unravel it for us, unpack it for us. So I think it was one of those things where I was I was clearly very successful, right? And I think in this industry, 
everyone thinks when you hit a certain level of success, the next step is that you start a team. Um, or even without a certain level of success, that everybody wants to start a team, right? right. And I did that, um, honestly, probably when I shouldn't have. I was still heavily in production. Out of those 212 sales, 110 of them were my personal production. And just to be clear, how many of those were buyers versus sellers? 70% buyers, 30% sellers. So a lot of people's jaw just dropped because everyone understands how much time, I don't care how efficient you are, that's time. 100%, and you, there's no way to leverage out all of it, right? There's yeah. still showings and there's yep. still, yep. it is what it is, yep. right? Offers, counter offers, negotiations, closing table in Massachusetts, right? Do, were you going to every closing? Um, no, I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. physically, right? Yeah. It, but and I wasn't full disclosure. I would twenty seven. That was twenty seventeen. I was neither a great agent. Mm -hmm. I was not a great team leader. I was not a great business owner. I wasn't a good friend. I wasn't a good mother, and I wasn't a good wife. I was yeah. like, I was average at best in absolutely everything. Yes. And even though on paper in business, everyone's like, wow, look what you accomplished. But was that the year the whole thing blew up? Mm -hmm. Talk about that. So in, in August, I'll never forget the day, August mm -hmm. 2017, I, and the cracks were forming before, right? Like you, I think anybody who's run a team and who's been through something where things aren't good, you know it, right? You feel it in your gut. You see yep. it every day. Sometimes we don't want to admit it to ourselves. Sometimes we just don't know how to change it. So we try to ignore it. I saw it. I felt it. Like I, but I didn't know what to do to fix it. And I woke was, up one. What was it? What was the it? Everything, right? So I think one of the things that I've shared somewhat publicly this year that I hadn't felt comfortable sharing until like 2020, and I don't know why it became okay this year, but my company wasn't profitable, right? Okay. So everybody looks in from the outside. And they're like, holy shit, you're selling 200 houses and, you know, the GCI is millions of dollars. Right. Right. right? And from the outside looking in, I had like everything. But from the inside looking in, I knew that I sold 110 houses and I was barely making money. Right. right. I still made money, no doubt, but I didn't make the money that I should have made grinding at the level that I was grinding. And the team actually cost me probably about a half a million dollars is what I lost. Yeah. How? Um, so I, when I was starting the team, when I was recruiting agents that like, I can tell you straight away, that was like number one mistake. I didn't know my own value. I didn't know how to convince people to come work with me outside of promising leads and money. Right. Yep. And come join me and I'm going to give you a ton of leads. You're going to close a ton of houses and you're going to make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. um, and those splits that I was paying out weren't sustainable. I was at um, a national brokerage where I was providing all the lead gen, all the staff, all the systems. I was paying some of the agents caps to the brokerage that we were at. Ooh. I was paying all. Yeah, it's, it's bad. I was paying the monthly fees. I was paying all like absolutely every expense. And so they were walking away, some of them 
full honesty, we're on like a 70-30 with the team only keeping 30. Yeah. And some of them were like, I had one agent who was on a 70-30 on company provided leads and not 90-10 on, on sphere stuff. But then it just became so contentious because there was no delineation between what was sphere and what was company. And it's, it's not profitable, right? And I would look at it. And so like that, the, those splits were one big mistake. And then the other so part to, of it. But hold on, I want to just talk about this just for a second. So for the people that are listening right now, you have to understand like, you know, you're a typical team or agent or forget brokerage. You're going to 15% of your cost is just going to be in salaries just to manage everything that she's doing. So if you're, if you're getting 30%, you might be like, God, 30%, that's still a lot new no, because half that's gone to salaries. Then she's acquiring leads. I bet more than half, right? That the, uh, the Delta, the other 15%, I bet she could have been at 18 or 20% in her Zillow spend plus everything else. Every time one of those agents sold a house, it cost her money. It did. And not, it, and not, and not just like hundreds, like we're talking like thousands. Thousands, yeah. Right, yes. like that's what it ended up being at the end of the at the end of the year. It was, and I, I knew it like by June. By the time we got to June, and the numbers yeah. were starting to come to be, I saw what was happening, but I didn't have the leadership skills to fix it, um, and I didn't know how to vocalize to everybody around me what was going on. Um, yeah. And I think it's really tough to be vulnerable about finances, right? Yes. And I think that there's a certain level of like pride that's tied to that too. Mm -hmm. um, so that was all kind of factoring in along with, I didn't get into this industry to be a business owner, right? Like the, I think you and I have talked about this. Yeah. Is this was all like, it was an accident. Yeah. Yeah. But tell, tell people so they understand, like, you know, share a little more around that. Well, like I said, I, you know, I, I always say I'm a mom first, right? Like when somebody asks me about my identity, like before the business, I always talk about I'm a mom, right? And I, I got into the industry to sell a few houses, pay for my kids' dance lessons and, you know, maybe run to Target every once in a while. Like I didn't, I never, I didn't wake up dreaming of owning a massive real estate business and it, it just in some ways like I know it's crazy for some people to look at what it is now and think that it was organic but really early on it, it was just organic that's the best way that I can say it is it just kind of started and I think at a certain point I was like yeah I want this but I also didn't know what it meant to want it or what I was wanting right yeah. and um Leadership skills. I, I was just going to say to you, the thing that most people don't get is it's who do you, who do I need to become as a leader, right? Which is also as a spouse and as a parent, because it's not just shift there, right? You got to shift everywhere. So you were going there. So talk about it. Yeah. Well, like, uh, no, I don't think anyone trains it, right? Like, it's not like something that you can look at it and say like, oh, like I instantly know how to manage people, right? Mm -hmm. Or I instantly know how to have conversations. And, you know, I, I think I've gotten better at it over the years, especially since you and I have known each other, right? Yeah. But like, I am very direct and mm -hmm. that's not great, right? Not everybody reacts well to that. They react, it's not always well. Yes, yes. At least they know where you stand, right? Because. Cause we both know some people and, and listen for everybody listening right now, like, like 
I'm very direct, but you can be direct and not punch somebody in the face. Right. But there's an art form to that. There is. There is an art form that took me years to learn. Yeah. Um, and it took me years to learn that that I've got to be me, right? I can't mm-hmm. leave like you lead and I can't leave like other people lead. I gotta be me. And I've gotta find I had to find a way to finesse that being me with being relatable to the people that were around that are around me. Right. And in a way that inspires them instead of makes them feel tiny. Right. We, I mean, for everyone listening, if you've ever, uh, if you know any of my early work six, seven years ago, I would talk about all these different types of teams. And one of them was hero and the minion. Right. And that, you know, these people would maybe not intentionally, some intentionally surround themselves with minions. If you know the little character, you know, he, 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 right. The little goofy little, uh, you know, cartoon characters, but that's how they treated people. They also treated people like they weren't intelligent, they weren't bright, and therefore that's how they acted. And then people wonder why their teams were horrible, right? I don't think you went through that, but I think you experienced some of that as you learn to hire more talented people. And then how do you work with those more talented people to get the best out of them, even if it's not the way that you would do it? So, so speak sort of just around the, maybe the lessons learned. And I think really from 17 to 18, cause you went from 212 to 326 and in August, the whole thing completely imploded. Yeah. We went from, I went from having six agents and three staff to having one agent and two staff. And then I had to start all over. Right. Um, did that did that impact you your psychology your belief your mindset or were you like okay knowing knowing what I know now I know what I got to do no I I ugly cried I ugly cried for days right and I think it's tough because I didn't like I said I knew I knew what was wrong which was part of what was impacting the way that I led right and I could see it like I think when, we, when you're under that level of stress, especially financial stress, it leads you to be like edgy, short, direct, overly direct, which when you're already direct is not good. Um, and it leads you to focus on the wrong things, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I didn't know all of, I, I knew part of those mistakes, but I didn't know at that time what I needed to do to correct the leadership skills and to to switch from, I guess maybe like a, a punitive kind of leadership style to mm-hmm. one of inspiration, right? Yeah. And yeah. that took, it, I mean, full honesty, I had to stop and ask myself if it was really worth it and if I really wanted it, right? Because right? it, it was a lot of work. It's still a lot of work to kind of remind myself that I kind of have to keep evolving and figuring out, you know, what worked in some situations will work in others, but not all of them. We're actually, because, because it's you, I'm actually going to go into some systems conversations a little bit, but I want to go back to 212 to 326 to 492. You, you went from six agents and three staff down to one agent and two staff, and yet you finished the year at 212 and, and added 50% to your business in one year. Walk us through the how and what were the lessons along the way? How did you start rehiring again? And what were the lessons? So great. So rehiring, um, I mean, it just, it was do or die, right? Kind of like when I was going from eight to 82. Once I knew I wanted it, I just needed to figure out what the problems were 
how I was going to fix it and then just do it. Right. So I needed to switch my recruiting strategy, but first I needed to understand who I was, who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And what my value prop is, my USP, just like when I'm selling to a buyer or a seller, right? Why would somebody hire me? Why is somebody going to come join my, my company? Um, And that couldn't be leads or money, right? Because everybody can promise that. And I didn't, I don't know. That's not who I am. I, Jason and I were just chatting the other day and I said, you know what? We're not a lead generation company. We're a team, right? And it's in the culture and the mentality. And once we understood that back in like 2017, right? That it's, it's the training, it's the collaboration. It's, it's having fun, right? It's, Coming to work, it's but it's the shuffleboard like table work. that I see, you know, below the stairwell there, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Yes. Right? Um, and so once we kind of understood that, then it was easier enough to say, okay, so we kind of get the USP and finding people where it was also switching the avatar. You know, it wasn't super experienced agents who were bringing a book of business, right? It's understanding that my, my niche still to this day is helping brand new agents or ones that are in the business less than 12 months who've sold less than five homes. Yeah. Right. And I, I play to that strength still today. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was understanding that figuring out where we were going to find those people to attract, how we would attract them. And then being so positive on that financial thing, because that was what started the demise the first time. Yes. Right. Um, And understanding. Just to be clear, that means the right splits, some, some you know, awareness around cost, right? Not making any stupid decisions when it comes to the money. And if someone doesn't like the money, you don't change it or did you change it? Mm-mm. And even today, so here's like, even today, somebody will walk in and they'll say, oh, golly, like, really? How about if I, if you offer me X and I will say no once. And if you ask me again, I just simply say, you know what? Thank you so much for taking the time to meet, to meet with me. I've loved getting to know about you but I don't think that this is the right fit. And that's it. You can ask me once, I'll say no, but if you ask me again, we're just done. Cause you won't ever see the value in right. what I can bring to the table. And I think you know this, and I wanna just make the point to everybody that agents that repeatedly move for money, repeatedly move for money. So they're not there for the culture, the team, the camaraderie, the connection, what it means to be a part of something. And I'm not making those agents wrong. I think every team leader knows, you know it, right? Every broker knows it. You got to be very careful with those people because they're not going to be loyal. They're going to skip to the next shiny penny, whether it's in a year, six months or five years. Yes. Well, that's me. Right. And, and that's what I always say. I would never hire me to be on my team. Right. right. But it's knowing that fine line of that avatar and yeah. understanding exactly what fits into that avatar. So, so Lisa, you said earlier, the first key to scaling is really knowing yourself and getting clear on the value that you deliver your unique selling proposition as a team. Right. And then remember, you're still, you did 110 transactions that year. You're still out showing property and writing up offers and encounter offers and negotiating. And, you know, I got two daughters and I got a husband. Wait, now I need to go interview more staff and I need to hire more salespeople. And I need to write out what our new training program is like. How did you do all that? I worked smart, right? I kept Mm -hmm. a great schedule. I got up early. My favorite times to work were before my kids got up and after they went to bed when it was quiet and I could, that's when I was doing the stuff for the business instead of selling. 
I surrounded myself with amazing people. Um, I think one of my, what I, I've learned, we all kind of have superpowers in the industry. Yeah. My superpower is in hiring. I can recognize talent and yeah. hire. Look, everybody in this office who has a staff job, they're smarter than me. They're better than me. They're faster than me. And they're amazing, right? Yes. And so I figured that out early on that if I hire people who are smarter than me and better at me at what they do, it's better for all of us, right? right? So I had some right. really great leverage. I, I don't write the training plan. I never wrote the training plan. I have some input into the training plan, but um, I don't own it. But in those early days, somebody had to train those salespeople. Somebody had to do the ride along. Somebody had to say, this is how we answer the phone. This is the way we follow up on a lead. This is how we use our CRM. Was that your admin or was that you? Was that the one lone salesperson that was wondering, did I make the right decision to stay here? Like, who was it? <laughs> so it was a combination. Uh, like I, my admin, Rachel, had been, she's been with me since the beginning. Uh, that first hire that I made back in 2016. So she knew the systems wow. and would yeah. step up to train the salespeople. And then as I hired our sales manager, that was very collaborative between myself and Rachel, really working with Jason. Cause Jason has never sold a house, yeah. knew nothing. And, you know, I, I joke that he was like my shadow for six months, right? Attached at my hip would come on every appointment, every showing. And while we were driving from here to a listing appointment and then to the buyer appointment in the car, he was just taking notes and talking and asking questions and, yes. Um, how important is that as a strategy for, for really on board? Cause Jason, did you hire Jason with the intent to go right into management or was that part of his role was to like, just go into sales and then it just happened? No, I hired Jason in, um, July of 2017, right before everything fell apart. He was one of the three staff members because I recognized that I couldn't fix what was wrong. And so in my head, the solution was to hire somebody else who could fix it, but it was too far gone. Yeah. There was no fixing it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so Jason was hired straight management. And it, it, back when I first started coaching with my current coach, one of the things, books that he had me read was called The Slight Edge. And it talks about this J curve, right? Yeah. Where we kind of take a dip back and step back so that slow it down so you can fix things and then watch it take off. Yeah. And that was the strategy with hiring Jason right? I step back. And for me, it was financial, right? I had to take yeah. on his salary without really having any benefit or ROI to put to it. But I knew that if I hired him and did a really great job training him to, to train, to manage, to recruit, that it would take, that was the only way it was going right. to be able to take off. Right? right. Did you ever, did you ever along the way to say to yourself, maybe I should just go back and just sell houses. This is just nuts. Did I, I don't love selling. So it, I, that's so funny coming from someone who did 110 deals in one year. I don't love selling. I don't love it. So people are like, what? Imagine if she actually liked this job. I love winning. I yes. don't love selling. Um, I like, I, it, it, it's some people are people, people, right? And right. they love that. It drains me. Yes. So I don't, I don't love it. Um, so no, I don't, I would never go back. That's good. Okay. So, so let's go back to the leadership thing. If I said to you, okay, Lisa, I'm going to take notes. Tell me the four to five most important leadership adjustments you made to be able to scale and sustain 
because that's what you've done. Like you had the breakdown, then you've had, we've all had breakdowns along the way, but your, your production has just skyrocketed. What would be those four to five most important sort of leadership lessons, antidotes, management philosophies, approaches that have been able for you to really become who you are and have all these amazing people around you winning? So the number one is that I had to be okay being me, right? And I had to own who I am. I know you and I have talked about this before and I talk about it with anybody who will listen, but that was the most powerful thing for me is mm -hmm. to understand that when I'm the truest form of myself in every single way, there's something, it's genuine and sincere, right? As opposed to if I try to be all professional and it doesn't work, it's not me. Yeah. If you tried to not be twirling someone, some one of these little goofy things and, and, you know, even before we started this, you know, Tristan, what were we listening to the entire time? It was just her and her team laughing back and like, that's just you being you. Yes. Right. But then you turn right around and you punch people in the face because you're very direct. That's also you. Right. Yeah, totally. Yep. Um, so that was number one. And that was the biggest one for me is once I realized that I have to be me in every single way, yeah. that was most powerful. The second one is that I can't expect from everybody else what I expect from myself. And actually, I'm going to edit that. I can't expect from anyone else what I expect from myself. And yeah. I can't hold them to, I can't hold anybody accountable to a goal that's not theirs, right? If I hold the office accountable to my goal of selling a thousand houses, everyone's going to be miserable, including myself. But if I can recognize that everybody's got their own goals and dreams and desires and help them accomplish their mm -hmm. goals, dreams, and desires, it's going to help me accomplish mine. hundred percent. Right? That was number two. Yeah. Um, What's number three? Num number three was learning that it's okay to not have all the answers and to be vulnerable enough to admit that I don't have answers, that I'm not perfect, and that I do make mistakes. And letting everybody else around me hold me accountable, not just like my coach, but like my agent, right? If I tell you that I'm going to be somewhere for something and I don't, hold me accountable to it, right? If I promise you that I'm going to deliver X and I don't, hold me accountable. Yeah. And that's okay, right? And, and to admit that I'm never going to have all the answers. That's such a, I mean, that, that transcends, uh, this business, all business parenting, you know, the, like the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, the growth mindset says, I don't know who does know, does anybody know how we can solve this? Right. Where the fixed mindset's like, this is the answer just cause it is, even though it's wrong, but don't tell me it's wrong. Right. Like where did that come from? Were you always that way? Cause that's a, that's a, big one for people, especially as they ascend into leadership roles. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. Yeah, no, that one's probably one of the more recent ones. 
that's okay. probably like the past like 12 to 18 months. Yeah, always be evolving. Fair? Yeah. yeah. So what's number four? All right, number four, um, leadership stuff. I think it's really just comes down to communication, right? Yeah. And that, especially just because of my personality that I have to calibrate um, to the people that I'm with. Yeah, yeah. How have you, how have you learned? I mean, I, I think of how many like Team Plus meetings and meetings and masterminds and just being together, right, with this amazing you know posse we run with that i always find myself role-playing with people in like how would you say this like how would you say this to the team what would you would you put this in an email would this be on video would it be face to face how have you taken I mean, you're obviously a, you were whether you liked it or not a phenomenal agent so you knew how to talk to buyers and sellers with different personality types and where they were at in their own sort of life evolution now you're shifting that over to staff, to recruits, to other agents, to all these people associated with transactions. How have you improved in that area? So we had a really good example. I will never forget this. It was like, it was probably about like 18 months ago and I was looking in some of our dashboards and I noticed that an agent had dropped off, right? Their conversations were down, their production was down. And I'm sitting at my desk and I whipped out my phone and I took a picture of it and I texted it to the agent and copied Jason on it. And I was like, dude, what's going on? And in my head, like, it's like supportive and friendly, right? Like I wrapped it with right. like, dude, I added an emoji. So in my head, like I'm golden, I've just become expressive and like soft. And all of a sudden I see Jason going like this. I'm like, where are you going, Jay? And he's like, I'm going to clean up the mess you just made. And yes. so I follow him and he's sitting down next to the agent whose face is like this. And yeah. they were yeah. horrified, right? Of course. Because in text, how did that actually sound? Dude, what's going on, you loser? <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I have learned, right, that like I've got to, like I can't, I've, it's got to be one-on-one. -on -one. It's got to be personal yeah. in everything, right? And that like celebrating the wins is so super important. And yes. like I don't often stop, like before we started, I had said like when we were talking about numbers, I was like, we're going to be in 600 somewhere, but it's not a thousand, right? Because yeah. that's been my goal. And I have to stop and realize that like, 600 is still really celebration worthy, Whew. right? Um, through a pandemic, through this year, through any year, yes. Yeah, no doubt, right? But like my, my head just goes to like, if I had done this and I had done that and I had done this, would I still have gotten to a thousand, right? Yeah. And, and it does that, my head does that naturally with everything. And mm -hmm. so, I had to learn to stop and like check that and say, I've got to mm -hmm. celebrate that like all the wins, the team's wins, the individual's wins, everybody's wins. Yeah. It, well, it goes back to expectations, right? Yeah. I mean, like it's actually a very nice or you should, you should think about writing a book, my dear. This is, this is some good insight here. So is there a fifth? Is there a fifth big, what's been the biggest mistake and how did you correct it on the leadership side? Oh God, there's too many that I could, that I could give you like endless mistakes. Right. So I think one of the biggest ones is that as into my business as I am, and as much as I look at it, that I often get too big picture and lost track of some of the nitty gritty 
And some of those nitty gritty cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, yes. And so biggest mistake in that respect is losing sight of the day to day for the big picture. And the day to day is still so important. Right, right. It's uh, you know, it's said that CEOs, you know, myself included, and I think you're you're speaking to the same thing. We have a tendency, because our role is to create this future that people can live into, that we're thinking, you know, eighteen months out, three years out. You know, what are the things that are going to get in our way? What do we need to do about it? Who am I hiring today? Who's going to make an impact in you know, fifteen, sixteen months? But if you're not also looking into the day-to-day operations and the details, you know, you can be in trouble real fast. You run, run out of money, lose your culture, lose your people. I mean, it goes quick. So, so how do you balance the two now? Uh, balance. So I've hired more people, right? So this year, I think the most like instrumental hire was somebody who puts the, the data into, into forms that I can see, right? Yeah. Like I, I can't look at spreadsheets all day. I blow my brains out, but I can look at a pretty colored graph, yeah, right? Dashboards. Um, yeah, exactly. Hashtag dashboard. Um, and, you know, even for like a, a solo agent, I'd say the same thing, right? Like understanding that not knowing, like it's so easy to say, oh, I prospected for three hours, but was it really three hours or was it an hour and a half because you walked around for 30 minutes, got a drink at the water cooler for five minutes and, you know. Yeah. Okay. Let's go a totally different direction. I actually wrote down, uh, how does an agent scale in your mind? And then I wrote down being so systems oriented, like what does that agent need? That solo agent, then small team, then large team. So, so let's, I want to walk like tactically through even, even your own career, right? How does that, how does that agent scale? What systems do they need in the beginning? Right. And then along the way, what people do they need? So it's kind of thinking systems and people walk me through that journey. First system is a CRM, right? That was, that was the toughest one. I paid for that for like a year and didn't even log in. That was the bane of my existence. Yes. Yes. All right. So CRM, everyone's like laughing and you know, they're all going to say, but which CRM should we use? The one your broker gives you for free that you haven't opened up yet. <laughs> right. We, I had many of those that I didn't even know the login information to. Yes. Um, I am a huge believer in whether it's CTE or CSU or something that's going to track the yep. financials. Even for a solo agent, if you're spending any money on marketing, whether it's client gifts, postcards, mailers, right? You got to know what money's coming in, what money's going out. And I think it's what money do you have to spend, right? To increase budget. But also like CSU and CTE are really very transactional because you're looking at, hey, I'm spending money on this. Am I getting the conversion, right? Those are all those levers that we love to talk about. Like I can pull that lever. I can get greater conversion. I can make more phone calls. We could book more appointments. Um, but I think a lot of people don't get like, again, whether it's that or even an Excel spreadsheet, just knowing where your business is coming from and then what you're forecasting really to me is all of those. So CRM, some method of tracking. What's number three? I don't think there is when you're starting off. Like, I, And I think that that's one of my biggest like things with when people call me is I don't think you I think we think that you need more and that spending more money is better but I think if you have a way to manage your leads or clients and a way to manage the money 
What more do you need until you're crossing a certain point? That's it. That's it. Show me the money. Clients and money. All right. So, so take me into that small team. Um, yeah, small team. So the same things, right? A CRM that everybody's a part of. Definitely need an admin before you hire any agents. That's always one of the things that I, I hope team leaders stop and realize is that the first hire should be an admin and not mm -hmm. a buyer agent. Right. Um, why? And why? I know why, but why? Oh, why? oh, well, for a whole bunch of reasons, right? So one is it, a, a really skilled admin max out what you can make as a solo agent. If I can pay an admin 15 mm -hmm. or $20 an hour and double my production, it's going to be a lot less money going out the door than paying a buyer agent 50%, That's right. right? That's like right. on the order of like, depending on your market and your price point, like we could be talking like a six figure Delta. Right. The order of magnitude That's crazy. is tremendous. Yeah. Right. So you hire the uh, admin, but what, what, what software systems does the admin need fully baked so they can support you at the highest level? I think the same ones at that point, yeah. right? Like we threw in, we use, um, we use Zoho now for transaction management so that everybody can log in and see the status of every transaction. But that being said, I think you can also do it in dot loop at a, you know, depending on how many transactions we're talking yeah. about and how much money we're trying to save. And the, I think one of the things that I always, that it makes me sad is when I see agents who, and small teams spending so much time and money trying to build the perfect mousetrap and right. overthinking how much time do they need to spend, like building out all these Asana or Trello checklists. They're all in dot loop, right? And we're already spending money on some sort of dot loop or skyscrope or whatever. Yeah. I like my note was use the transaction management solution that your company provides. Right. Or the one that might even be free with your MLS or for a very small fee through your MLS or association. So CRM track tracking, which includes financials, transaction management, and then you go to scale. Then you want salespeople. Does anything change with the systems? I don't think so. We still use the same systems now. So truth, we, I still use the same CRM that I used when I was a solo agent. I yeah. still use the same, we still use CTE, which is what I used as a solo agent for right. all the agents in the company. Yeah. We still use dot loop, right? It's all the same. It's just, yeah. it's kind of grown with us. Yeah. Well, I mean, hello from eight to 600 plus transactions. So I, it's important. I really want people to get this because you and I both know we have other friends that if I said, okay, what systems are going to go, well, there's 43 things. I use this and I use this and I use this. And I, and I think, I think those people just really like software. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They, they like having, like, I have enough apps on my phone. <laughs> you know, I don't need I can, I'm lucky I can turn my computer on. Like, that's like the truth. Like <laughs> the fact that like, I haven't frozen on my screen yet today. Yes. And the sound is like in my AirPods and not going back and forth is a huge win. Yes, like, yes. I, that's how I roll. I, I love you for that. I love you for that. How do you install a new system or process with a team? Step by step. So we mm -hmm. back into it, right? And it for us, like if we're changing, like when we added in Zoho for project management, it was it was literally step by step. It was we did it first with the buyers and then it was the, you know, 
contract offer to purchase and sale and we nailed it down and then purchase and sale the commitment nailed it down commitment to closing nailed it down post closing nailed it down and just kept building upon it um, because for the staff if we if we changed everything overnight for both the staff and the agent it wouldn't be good for the customers yeah so step by step yeah and and patient and keeping it keeping it installed and reminding people which we're going to talk about management next you will you'll appreciate this because you've been inside my office multiple times and and you know you brought with you I'm I'm sorry I'm spacing on the person's name but worked with Amanda on my team to create some new dashboards so you will get to know my new COO who just celebrated yesterday's 30th day on the job and we had this wonderful conversation he said Tom did you know we have a thousand dashboards currently built inside of between Salesforce and everything else. And I said, how many do we actually look at? I go, cause I only look at like 10. And he said, he goes, I don't think anybody's looking at almost 950 of them. I said, are we just pack rats? We're just holding on. He goes, probably, probably He goes, but I'm going to like wipe all that clean. And, and my message, everyone listening. And, and Lisa, I want your insight on this is when you're managing a business, you're just trying to what, what are the levers, leading and lagging indicators that I can tweak and adjust to make it better? And that doesn't need to be 500 things, right? It's usually like we're in sales. It's like five things. How many leads are coming in? How many salespeople are managing them? How many appointments are we getting? What's our conversion? Did we get any five-star reviews? Like, like that's, and it's all yes or no, right? In percentages. How do you manage it now? What are the dashboards you look at and what, what, like, what's your frequency of looking at them? So, all right. I have about 250 dashboards and because I was like, (laughs) I just realized this the other day I was, we were going through something and I said, Oh, so what popped into my, I'll send an email at night and I'll be like to the, to our analytics guy. And I'll be like, Oh, I'd like a dashboard that shows me this. And I look at it once and I'm like, Oh, skip that. It it didn't give me what I wanted to know. Yeah. So I get why you have a thousand because I, I look at like five, right? right? Like that's truth be told. I look yeah. at five. Yeah. Um, so, so tell, tell the person listening or watching right now, we're, we're, my friends, we're talking about a dashboard, which is like on your screen or on your phone that shows you a bunch of dials and levers of, you know, are we winning or not based upon a percentage, right? I mean, that's the, the basics of what a dashboard is. What are the five you look at and what's on them? Yep. So number one is the financials. Where do where does the company stand? What's closed? What's pending? What's coming in over the next thirty days? The ba- basics, right? Yeah, totally. The second one would be for us. It's since we work a lot off of probably seventy percent of the deals closed here come off of company generated leads. Mm-hmm. So we have dashboards that monitor all of our inbound leads. How many? Where are they coming from? The average price the source that they're coming from so that we can see any changes mm-hmm. in either location or price or volume. Sometimes mm-hmm. we make a mistake and don't realize it. Right. So to be clear, we're talking about like basically quality of leads by source. Yeah. And the, and you know, with the team being as big as it is, we're like 60 something agents, 65, 67 agents, then they're spread across geography. So I've got to make sure yep. that we're balancing leads in the geographies that agents are need. Right. If I if we overgenerate in one geography and we have three agents, and we undergenerate in the geography where we've got twenty, no bueno. Yep. Um, 
So that would be one. My soup, my newest favorite one that just they just put together for me like this week. It's so it was super cool. It's a funnel, and they broke out in our database, which are at like the submitting offers phase, which ones are currently actively being shown, which ones are engaged in communication, and which ones are sitting there needing a lot of love. And that was that was fun to look at. That was a right. good one. So you're taking instead of, you know, top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, that sounds like all middle into bottom and then breaking bottom into like three or four pieces. Right. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. All data nerds were like, ooh, everyone else was like, what? <laughs> um, but I, okay. So yeah, we, we have that same thing. So, so what, what does, and we'll go to four and five, but when you look at that, what does it tell you? Like, like for everyone listening, it, we don't just look at these numbers. These numbers are designed for us to say, I see a problem. How are we going to fix it? Right. How do you, how do you look at it? How do you interpret it? What do you do? So for, with this particular one, it was looking at it and we were seeing that we had um, a ton of, you saw a couple things, right? So first thing that we saw is that we had a ton of clients that we were actively showing homes to. This was all on the buy side, not on the listing yeah. side, but we hadn't actually signed buyer agency contracts with uh, oh, a whole bunch. So that became a coaching opportunity for Jason and I to start working with the team about the importance of getting buyer agency contract signed so that we can protect that business, right? We're doing a ton of work. We should protect it. Yes. Um, yes. And then the next set of it was looking at, you know, if we're booking appointments. So like one of the cool things was, you know, again, internet leads where my, my business comes from is our agents are scripted to book an appointment on the first phone call. And what we noticed is that we, do a great job booking that first appointment. But if the property's contingent, which happens a lot because our inventory is so tight, we weren't making the pivot to get the agents to booking us an appointment at a like a similar property and getting in front of the consumer, right? So it allowed us to see that I think we've got a really big opportunity if we can make a script pivot on the return phone call Bingo. to help move some of them down. Um, so that was really cool. And then one of the, I think, you know, go back to the dashboard about money, it helps us see potentially what's going to start filling into that dashboard 30, yes. 60, 90 days from now. So, so for everyone listening right now, you either just took more notes and you would hit rewind or you're like, what? But I'm going to like, I'm going to tell you, you, you know, my business pretty well. We generate 14,000 leads every single month. If you're not a B testing the script to know which one gets a better response in what geography at what time during the day, and on what day and on what month do you guys get all that? Because it's, it's a cyclical business. People are in a different emotional state around election. They're in a different emotional state around taxes. They're in a different emotional state. New year, new you, spring market, summer market, the fall. Um, that's some heavy stuff. And I know you're, you know, you're, you're pushing in this direction because you want to make better decisions. Um, what's the fourth one? Uh, so the next one that we're looking at is individual agents and the profitability by agent um, so that we can see, you know, are we at the, at the, at the heart of it, are we getting the right opportunities to the right people and are we making the right hiring decisions, right? Because at the end of the day, we're a for-profit company, yes. right? And do you do, um, uh, you know, DISC? bank, crystal nose, Myers-Briggs, some, something that says 
agents with this personality type seem to convert better with that type of lead or just agents with these personality traits do better in our environment. Have you gone that deep with it or no? A little bit of both. So we definitely do a disc at hiring and we know agents that do well selling based on the, the business that we bring in. Right. Yes. And so that would be the first part of it. We are now working with um, literally probably two and a half weeks ago, we put together a list and we, it's, it's tough because from the management side, I don't often know what personality type the consumer is, right? right. Or in the broad generalization, like we're tracking all of that. Mm -hmm. But I think instead of personality type by lead source, I think that factors in a smidge. But I think the bigger thing that I am kind of experimenting with is it's the agent's personality with the consumer's personality. Bingo. Bingo. When I interviewed Kyle Whistle, he was talking about the same thing. He was like, Crystal knows lead comes in. Oh, they, they are a, a heavy D probably not going to put them with a high I like that's not going to work. Right. Probably need to be a D with some C so they can be tough, but also talk some, you know, some rational sense into them. Right. You're talking the same, same stuff. Yeah. And that's, so we're starting to kind of with inside sales, make that delineation between matching a consumer up with the right agent for the best outcome for both parties or all three parties, the agent, the company, and the consumer, not right. in that order. Yeah. And I think everyone that listening, like that was the key distinction. It wasn't like, yeah, this is another like, you know, rabbit hole we can go down. No best results for the consumer, for the agent and for the company, just making communication easier. Um, I want to go back though, cause I know someone's going to be listening like fairy. I can't believe that, you know, you heard this and you didn't ask. So this is for you back when you said, you know, in that, in that sort of bottom of the funnel, if we notice that a bunch of our agents aren't getting buyer brokerage agreements signed, that's an opportunity for us to train them back up. Are you asking them to go back to that buyer? They've already shown a couple houses to and sign a buyer brokerage agreement. What is that training? What, what is the ask of the agents when you see that, uh, that Delta of separation between the way you want it done and the way it is a little bit of both. Right. So we're never going to go back if it's going to ruin the trust and rapport that right. an agent has with a consumer, right? That's number one. And we're never going to do anything to risk that, but there is a great way to do it right and through the course of the relationship. If you trust me and I trust you and we're in this relationship, it shouldn't actually really matter when I'm making the ask, right? Yeah. As long as the ask is phrased the right way. Um, but the other opportunity is then that we clearly had a training issue going into this, right? And we can fix it for all new leads. We might not be able to go back and fix it for every lead that's sitting in there, mm -hmm. but we generate hundreds of leads every week, right? So we can fix it with those new hundreds of opportunities starting next week. Bingo, bingo. All right, moving off dashboards and how you manage, because it sounds like you're like me, you're looking at this stuff every day, all day, and it's you know, prompting a text, an email, a Slack, or something to someone on the team, like, hey, we should look at this. Um, tell me about you and your coach and what you work on. Like, what's a typical coaching session like with you and your coach now? Yeah, it, so it's definitely changed as the business has changed. And yeah. a lot of it, you know, I think it depends upon, he's in my, in my business at a very deep level, right? He's in yeah. everything. Um, and I think one of the things that's really cool about that dynamic is that he also has, he has the leeway to be brutally honest with me, right? Yeah. And so if I put out a communication that's missed the mark, it's understanding how did I miss the mark? How could I have done it better? 
if it's looking at it like I still make mistakes with you know conversion falling below a certain level or the reality of thinking hey we're doing really great and we're on track for production goals but he sees that maybe we're not right maybe based upon past history I'm missing some small mark there Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other part of it is really kind of helping me inside sales I have not been stoked about building out inside sales and it was a very consistent conversation until I finally just gave in yes yes so so at the summit I talked about guardrails right and I was saying to people like you know if you've ever gone bowling with your kids or you know when you were a kid and they put those guardrails up so the ball doesn't go in the gutter right so no matter what you at least hit a pin most people don't have guardrails. How is your coach a guardrail for you? You were kind of saying it there, like he's seeing some of these things that you're missing, but how else? Well, like I said, he brutally honest, right? And that he has permission to steer me back. Like I am like every other salesperson, business owner, and I can get very distracted very easily and chase down the wrong path like that, right? Yep. Um, so that's definitely one part of it, seeing it and then also being able to explain it. Sometimes I can see it or I sense it. Well, go back to 2017, right? You can sense it sometimes, but can't articulate it. And I think that one of the things that he is great about doing is helping me put words to it so that I can then in my head mm -hmm. kind of start to put, uh, I was talking to him about something else and I said, I was working on a project and I said, I feel like I've got this giant jigsaw puzzle in front of me, but nobody gave me the box, right? Yeah. So I don't know what picture I'm trying to put together. And by the way, all the pieces are printed on both sides and extra. They're all they're when It's one of those puzzles where they're all the same shape. So you're going to put them all together and you won't know that you messed up until the very end when one piece just doesn't look quite right in the picture. And yes. So it's like, but then somebody else is looking at it as you're putting it together and they're like, oh, that shade of red is slightly off from mm -hmm. that, right? That's the best way I can explain it is it's the extra yes. set of eyes that just sees right. what I can't see. Right. It's, it's uh, my, my coach and mentor, and I miss him every day, Mike Vance would say to me, it's the arc of perspective. He's like, the fact that I could be sitting in Miami looking at your life and your business from 3,000 miles away he, and he would like, he would do this like giant arc with his hands. He's like, I see everything. You're staring at a dashboard, right? Well, so you know what it is too, now that you say that? Yeah. They're not as emotionally like connected to the outcome, right? And I right. can get emotionally connected to the outcome like nobody's business. Yeah. But when you take the emotion away, sometimes the decisions are very different. I agree, I agree. What about your mastermind? How long, how long, how long have you been in that group now? And I think of the dinner we had in New York before we went to Tyler's grand opening of his show. And, you know, like, you know, I've, I've been blessed to spend time with you guys in that social business setting. How does that mastermind work and how has it evolved? Ooh, crazy. So I'm actually the newest member of the mastermind. I wasn't allowed in until about like a year and a half ago. I wasn't worthy. I'm just kidding. Um, They're all listening and going, yep. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so it's been fascinating to kind of watch it. I think one of the coolest things for me, A, is that I was, you know, that they let me in, yeah. right? And 
there's so few masterminds that stay together. Like this is actually the longest mastermind I've ever, I've got a couple others that kind of peter in and partly my own doing, I peter out. Um, but I think we're all like-minded, right? All at the same place in business and that we're doing the same things and believe the same things at the end of at the beginning of the day, right? Like it's people first and yeah. when you do the right things, the right things will happen. Um, oh, I just love them. That's all I can say about them. Yeah. 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 And, and I think it's fair for anyone that has not been in a mastermind. Um, I think of my own, uh, the, the current one and we're, I think since 2015, I want to say, and, uh, we, one person left cause he sold his business and now he's coming back cause he sold his business and doesn't have to work there anymore. But the thing for me is like, Lisa, I, it's the ability for me to call Greer Allen as an example or text him and say, I'm in this situation in my business, right? WTF. <laughs> like, what, do, what do I do, man? And he's like, I'll, I'll get the text back that says, do D-O-O-O-O-D-E. Don't you remember? I was there like eight months ago. I'm like, I know. That's what, like, tell me how you, like, how do I navigate this? And, and. For the person listening, you have no, if you're not a part of a group like this, you have no idea how valuable that is to have relatable minds that we can all meet together and let our hair down and be very honest with one another and then ride on their shoulders when it's time to make big decisions, make big moves, take big risks because we might have already all done it together or not, right? But it's the power of that. What am I missing? Yeah, the vulnerability, right? That's the, that's the big one, right? To admit that we're not perfect and to admit that we don't know it all yeah. um, and to be not okay, right? There's times when this can be a really lonely road. I think especially right now, I was just chatting with, yeah. with Jill this morning and said, you know, as, as close as we are, I feel alone sometimes, yes. right? And yeah. yeah, and knowing that somebody gets it, that's the biggest, it's different. It's a different hat. It is. It is. It's, um, but it's that, you know, birds of a feather flock together, right? So it's finding that right, uh, emotional vibe, value vibe, and also people that are all willing to grow together, you know, and we've, we took on someone recently in our group and I say recently, cause it's been around for a long time, like, uh, three years ago, he had like a little $2 million business and the rest of us were at, you know, 30, 40, 50, right? Whatever it was. And that's very different. And yet, it was super fun for all of us to contribute to this guy who we all love. And now his business is doing like, you know, seven or $8 million a year, which is bananas considering his service is like $20 a month, right? Like he's, he's grown tremendously and there's value in that too, because you're, it's someone you love and you're watching them grow. Right. You with me on that? hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And you celebrate in a different way, right? Like yes. when, and the small wins can seem so small to you, but ah, they can be so big at the same time. Yes. All right. So I'm going to ask you one last question as we read, Lisa, this is really awesome for the person listening, by the way, we started this interview last week and then the, like all the power went out and we had to switch gears. So, you know, we were, you know, I, I know we have the introduction. We got to think about like, cause there was some stuff we were talking about that introduction. We didn't want to throw that in there, even though we, it, it got stopped, right? Which we hate and we don't really edit our shows. Uh, but you sent me these, these funny things. So here's my question. Ready? Besides getting these with a Chinati group realty, you know, branded logo on there, which I was shocked that they just did not have. 
what are what are some of the big bold crazy things you're going for in 2021 2021 uh it's a great question I'm, you're making me put it out there i am <laughs> um so for us i my big one is that i finally want to cross a thousand transactions um it seems to be eluding me every year that's my own personal one in terms of like ego mm-hmm. right my pride and ego in other things it's you know i just i want to continue just being slightly better than I was this year, right? I want to be a slightly better leader. I want to have slightly better conversion. I want to deliver a slightly better customer experience. And I want to like build a business that just I know is bulletproof with everything going on in this industry, that it's unshakable. Yeah, I love it. It's, uh, you know, Warren Buffett talks about like building the moat around your business. So you become, you know, people can't attack you, right? It sounds like that. And at a certain point, everyone listening, you know, where you are in your business, you know, she's had the rocket ship growth and there's no doubt 600 to 400 will feel like another rocket ship, but it's going to go back to the dashboard and the levers. And it sounds like it's a math equation. It's more salespeople, more leads, better conversion, <laughs> more transactions that are profitable. I mean, that that's what, right. I mean, you and I, I'm on the same thing. We're going, I, I want a hundred salespeople you know, in call it greater Texas, Oklahoma, wherever, plus my existing team, plus, plus, plus. It's a math equation for everyone listening out there. This is, it isn't about how do I work harder? It's how, do, how am I going to be more intelligent with the way that I'm managing and running my business and taking care of the people that are here so they take care of the clients and all, and everybody wins in that. Yes? 100%. Yeah, I've always said that from the beginning, right? Conversations yeah. equal appointments, appointments equals contracts, contracts equal closings. At the end of the day, it's, all numbers. Yep, exactly. Lisa, this has been an awesome podcast. I, you know how much I, I love, respect, and appreciate you. She's been inside my office multiple times. I've seen her at my house. I think, I don't know if you played shuffleboard that night, but there was some of that craziness going on we with your- We played Liar's Dice. Oh, we played Liar's Dice. <laughs> liar's Poker, that's right. <laughs> that was Karen Peters. Went comp- Big shout out to Karen Peters, by the way. And I think Josh fell over my couch- May have been intentionally backwards, right? So, yes. There was, there was all, yes, we won't. <laughs> we, we, we won't go deeper than that, yes. But what's up, Josh Rubin? So, uh, you know, as always, you know, when I wrap up a podcast like this, I want to just say to the listeners, uh, if you're not following Lisa, you should follow her on, you know, Instagram, Facebook, etc. You know, she's built a beautiful business. You can see she's very authentic. What you see is what you get. And, and I go back to her five rules around leadership. Number one is like, just be you right? So if you're listening to this, like be you. Um, so Lisa, as we wrap, thank you for all my friends out there. Share it, like it. We crossed over 7 million downloads last month. We're super inspired about that. So thank you for being someone that has subscribed to this and is listening to this. And uh, that's it. We're out. See you on the next podcast. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.